Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. Why don't you continue doing what you're doing and stand up and greet those that are around you? Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church this morning. It is always a joy and a privilege to get to fill in for uh, Pastor John when he is out. Um, you've got your bulletins. Let me draw your attention to a few things on the announcement page. Um, today is the day was the last day to do the pictorial directory photos. They're outside until 11. So if you haven't done it, you take off running, you might make it in time. Um, WMU meeting is um, open to all women uh, of the church. It is Sunday, August the 6th at 5 p.m. in the fellowship hall. And it gives you some more information about that there. The uh, kids luau kickoff party is uh, also on, is on Wednesday, August the 9th. And then also on Wednesday, August the 9th is the business meeting, and Priscilla, being as wonderful as she is in the bulletin, gave us all this awesome August calendar on the last page of your bulletin um, to keep you up to date on everything that is going on in the church. Well, are you ready to worship this morning? Amen. Our call to worship this morning comes out of Romans chapter 11. It is verses 33 through 36. Read this along with me. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Would you join me and let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you this morning thankful for your word, thankful that you are God, and thankful for how wonderful your mercy is that it renews each and every morning. Father, we pray this morning that you open our minds and our hearts to your word, that we might be receptive to what you have to teach us this morning out of the Psalms, we ask that our eyes and our hearts be drawn to you and only to you this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen. Mr. Vaughn Bryant is gonna come and read our scripture this morning. Good morning again. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Hosea chapter six, Verses 1 through 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revise us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. 
Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains of wa uh, that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desirest steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of our Lord. Okay, if you will, please stand and we're going to worship through music. Yeah. 
nations Come lay them down at the foot of the cross Jesus is waiting for God so loved the world
yourself down Raising up the broken to shot down. Shout it, 
Father, what a Savior. Amen. Let me invite you to either sit, stand, kneel, whatever you want to do as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Father, we come to you this morning humbled that we get to call you Father. Humbled that while we are poor and powerless, we can still cry out to you and you hear us. We are thankful yet again for another day that you have blessed us with where your mercies are renewing each and every morning. Father, we are thankful for the many blessings that you bestow upon us, those that we see and those that we don't. We thank you that you love us so deeply. Father, I ask this morning that as we turn to your word that you put me out of the way and you have open hearts and open minds ready to receive your word and ready to receive your teaching this morning ask all of this in Christ's name amen well it is good to be here with you this morning like I said I'm always thankful when uh, Pastor John asked me to fill in for him this morning um, if you have your Bibles uh, we're going to be in Psalm uh, number 27 the 27th Psalm we're going to read we're going to read the entire Psalm uh, all 14 verses Um, so if you if you have your Bible and uh, you're in Psalm 27 I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This, this psalm is titled simply, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And it's a psalm of David. David starts writing in verse one, in verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war will rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall not, and my head shall be lifted and my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. When Pastor John first asked me to fill in for him, I began to look through and think about what in the world I was going to preach about. And as I was looking through what I was studying, looking through what I was reading, I had, as I have oftentimes many, thought about turning to one of Paul's letters and walking through what Paul had to teach us, but I've really gotten back in the Psalms reading plan every month where I'm reading the five Psalms a day, and this Psalm just stuck out to me when I was reading it. And so I began to work through this Psalm, and I began to play with this Psalm, and as it got closer to me preaching, I settled that this was going to be the text I was going to preach, but I'll tell you, this was probably the most difficult sermon I've ever written. Not because of the complexity of what David is writing here, but for how simple he makes it to show us what it looks like to seek after God. And as I began to walk through this psalm and formulate how I was going to preach it, there was a part of me that was a little scared of the task of presenting it. I, in my infinite wisdom, thought I should start finding something else to do. Um, But the Lord had continued to lay this psalm on my heart. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, I hope that it is a blessing to your heart and to your soul as it has been to mine as I've walked through it. When we come to Psalm 27, it comes in the midst of several different psalms that are all just titled a psalm of David. We don't know exactly at what point in David's life this is being this is written for many reasons of the first of it. It obviously doesn't tell us, but for other reasons are there are many times in David's life when he's writing where there are armies encamped around him, there are adversaries and foes rising up against him, there are evildoers that are trying to pull him down from being in God's favor. As I started looking through this psalm, David really there's really four different stages of thought that David has as he's writing this psalm. But it's all leading back to this very core and important idea. And that's the idea that we need our our desires and our our hearts need to be wrapped around the things and the will of God. The idea of this psalm is all about understanding who God is and how we're to build our lives and, or, and build our walk around him. David explains to us in the first three verses how we are to draw strength from the Lord. That is the first area of thought. How, how do we draw strength in the Lord? How, how do we grab strength from the Lord? Well, look at what David says in verse 1. He says, the Lord is, the, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is not a foreign idea to us when we read this in Scripture. Many different times throughout Scripture, we see that the Lord is our source of strength. We see that the Lord is light. He is salvation. In John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, he begins it by this way, by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Lord has brought salvation and has brought light into the life of David. 
And the Hebrew word here for salvation means deliverance. One of the commentators writing on this passage said that this probably has to do with deliverance from King David's immediate enemies that were encircling him that he talks about. God must be the light and he must be the salvation in our lives if we're to have nothing to fear. I would submit to you this morning that in our times of need, if when our strength is run out, if we're not, if we, if we don't have the courage and the ability to go on, to press on in the things of life, it's because we're not drawing our strength from where we should. Many times when life happens or life gets in the way and things happen, the first thing that we do is we try to fix it ourselves. We, we, we pivot to our own abilities or we pivot back over here to other people who may be able to help us through it. But the, the true sense of the matter is, is that the only one who can give us nothing to fear and the only one who give us nothing to be afraid of is our Father in heaven. The reason why this has to be such a vital part of our walk is that everything is happening on God's timeline. We can try and weasel our way into having something to say, but at the end of the day, it's God's plan, it's not ours. God has the final say as creator of all things. If we do, if we do this, if we, if we put the Lord first, if we, if, we, if we put the Lord as the center of our hearts and as the center of our desires, we get to a place where we can agree with what, with the, where we can answer the question that David asked us at the end of both of these statements. He says, whom shall I fear? And because the Lord is the stronghold of our lives, whom shall I be afraid? Fear is one of those things that nobody likes to deal with. Fear is one of those things that when it grips you, it's extremely difficult to figure out how to pivot away from it. I, for one, do not enjoy horror movies. If you sit me down and make me watch a horror movie, I'm going to close my eyes. I do not enjoy them. Fear is something that we all desperately try to avoid having in our lives. And because of that, David knows that one of the biggest fears as a leader is having evildoers or an opposing army press upon your kingdom or the territory that you were over. That's why he says in verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, he says, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Because he has put his faith in God, the enemy is not going to be able to overtake David. Writing on this psalm, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, he said, God's breath blew them off their legs. He said, this was literally true in the case of our Lord in the garden. When those who came to take him went backwards and fell to the ground. He said, this is a prophetic representation of all wrestling believers who, rising from their knees, shall by the power of faith throw their foes upon their faces. The the amazing truth here is that we serve a God who is so powerful and so mighty and so wonderful that he can literally knock the legs out of underneath our enemies. He, he, he can literally make them insignificant in our lives. David says, when they came to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and, and, and foes, it's, not just, it's, it's also the picture of the enemy when he comes into our life, not only trying to steal, kill, and destroy, 
but he tries to devour our ability to witness to others and share faith. In his sermon last week, uh, Pastor John was referring to the book uh, Screwtape Letters written by C.S. Lewis. And if you're familiar with that book, you know that it's about a senior demon writing to a junior demon. And in that, the junior demon is being reprimanded because his human has come to Christ. And I've often heard it said to me, you may have heard it said to you, if the devil can't get you to not believe in God, the next best thing he can do is keep you from sharing the gospel. I enjoy, I'm a, enjoy studies, I enjoy seeing what people think, and according to a study done by Lifeway Research, 95% of professing Christians are never going to share their faith with somebody around them. 95% are not going to share their faith on a day-to-day basis. So in looking at that, that is exactly what David is trying to warn us against. He's trying to warn us that the enemy can slip in in such small ways that we think are small but are extremely significant to the kingdom work going out. In verse 3, David continues with this thought of being encircled but not fearing the encirclement of the enemy. He says, though an army encamps against me, he says, my heart shall not fear. Talking about the heart, it's the, it's the inwardmost part of our being. It's, it's where we're to do, it's where all of our passions and our desires, it's where everything flows from in our lives. And he says, though war arises against me, yet I will be confident. Confidence in the Lord is something that Paul writes about in Romans 8, starting in verse 38, Roman, or Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. David is building on this idea that as we go through this life, as we, as we, as we go through whatever circumstances we're in, our strength has to come from the Lord. Th- th- think about when you're, think about running, think about any kind of exercise. You've got to have endurance to do it. And if, if we try and use our own endurance without drawing on the Lord, for a little while, we can, we, we can keep up for a little while with what we're, what's being thrown at us. But after a while, our endurance begins to fall. It's like that picture of Olympic runners when they're, when they're waiting for the baton to be slapped into their hand. They're, they're anxiously waiting. That's us at some points. We're, we're so worn out from trying to fight everything on our own that we're, we're anxiously waiting. And when the Lord comes alongside of us and hits us with his strength and hits us with his power, it's like a burst of, agen- of adrenaline into our very being so that we can press on with the work of the kingdom. In, starting in verse 4, though, David's making a change, not only in what he's writing about, but he's, there's, there's a shift in his tone in how he's writing this. Look at verse 4. David writes, One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The next thing, the next three verses, verses four, five, and six, David wants us to see that we need to rest in the Lord. We need to rest in the things of who God is. The goodness and faithfulness of God that David has been celebrating in verses one, two, and three are coming to the pinnacle of where it's all really starting to hit him what he's, what he's got. He's really starting to get in his life. He's really starting to understand just how powerful and amazing God is. He, he writes these first three verses explaining what it looks like to have no fear, to be completely strengthened with the Lord. David becomes engulfed with the idea of being with God, being in God's presence, being in the temple of God, in the holiest place where God dwells. That is what David is seeking after. We seek after so many things in this life. We seek after better opportunity. We seek after all of these things. And David says the core of it, if we're going to be fully fulfilled in this life, it's that we have to seek to dwell with the Lord. Nothing else comes anywhere close to satisfying the desire or the, the hole in our lives that we're needing other than the presence of God. Anything else is just a band-aid to later be ripped off for the hole to be larger and wanting something more. And as you feed it more and more, you, you grow further and further from the things of God until you're at a point to where you don't even know which way is up. You don't even know which way to get to God. And David is pleading with the people that are going to read this. He's, he's pleading with us this morning that all we do is we seek after God, dwelling in the house of the God, dwelling in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. But that, that, that's not even satisfying enough. David wants to be able to gaze upon the beauty of our Lord. He, he wants to be able to gaze upon the amazingness of God's power. David wants nothing more than to be with his God. A famous writer was looking at the question of mankind. His name is Alexander uh, Pope, and he once, said, he once said this. He says, know then thyself. He says, we've got to know ourselves. He said, presume God, not God to scan. He says, we've got to know ourselves, and not, uh, but before we let God scan us. He says this. He says, the proper study of mankind is for mankind to study man. He thought it more important for us to learn about ourselves and then try to go to God than to learn about God and let God teach us about us. Charles Spurgeon responds to this statement, and he says, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind, he said the proper study, study of mankind is man. He says, I will not oppose the idea. He says, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. He said, the proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, the nature, the person, the works, and the doings. And he brings it all together and he says, it's the existence 
of the great God whom man calls his father. That is what it means to have one thing on your mind, is that no matter what you're doing, no matter if you're in a science field, if you're in any other kind of field, no matter what you're in, if you're in philosophy, in math, no matter what you do, is having a God mindset in that to see the beauty of the Lord, as David wants to see here in the psalm. Look at verses five and six, as he continues with this idea of being able to rest in the fact that he wants to be in the house of the Lord. He says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He said, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He said, he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer with him in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. When I think of you know, being hidden in the shelter of God, being concealed and lifted on a rock, my mind is immediately taken to Exodus chapter 33. And in, towards the end of this chapter, the Lord and Moses are together. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses' response is, please show me your glory. And God responds by saying, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, which is the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, lifted up. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand till I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. This is the idea of being high and lifted up with the Lord, that we're so in, we're, we're so in awe of who God is that, all, that, that, we, we're will, that we want just such a small part of who we are. When we look at these verses and we see the Lord providing shelter, we see him providing us being high and lifted up on a rock, it, it should draw us to understanding who our God is, that he is a strong fortress. It, it, it should draw us to praise him because when we come to the rock, when we come to our salvation, when we see just how sweet our Savior is, it should bring us nothing more than to wanting to see God's presence in our lives. It's an outburst of praise for him. It reminds me of the hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It is a pinnacle point in this psalm where David is engulfed and he's just allowing the significance of the presence of God to transcend into his life and to move throughout every part of his being so that he can see the presence of God. He wants to, he uses, he, he exhausts 
all of the verbs almost in the Hebrew language that he can use to describe the goodness of God. Whether it be he describes God as a shelter or he describes God as a tent or, or, or putting us up on a rock. And in verse 6 he says, and now my head shall be lifted. And my enemies all above my enemies all around me. There are really only two things in our lives that cause us to drop and flee. The first one is, is shame. When we've done something and we're shameful of what we've done and we, we basically just try and make ourselves as small as possible and get away from it. And the other is what we've talked about. It's, 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 it's fear. It's fear of something that we can't control where we just try to make ourselves as small as possible. But because the Lord is strong and mighty and the Lord is salvation, he is able to lift us up above those that are around us. He, he, he's able to lift us up where we can have shouts of joy and sing to the Lord as we are in his presence. David's, David's thought process here then shifts back to... Well, how do we get to this point? How, how do we get to the presence of God? And in the next several verses, in verses 7 through 12, David shows us that our salvation is in the Lord. That our salvation is in the Lord. Listen to what he says. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. As you, you have said to seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. David is showing us that the first and foremost thing that we have to do is we, is, is we have to have a prayer to align our heart's desires to God. Our, our, our desires cannot be our own. Our own desires are selfish and worldly and not pleasing to the Lord. Our, our desires have to match with what God has called us to do. And David tells us in verse 8 that a, a command that we've been given is to seek his face, to seek the face of God. And David's response is, is that his heart, his, his inward being, the, the thing that what, t what makes David tick is response is, your face, Lord, do I seek? David, David asked that the Lord be gracious and be merciful to him and to, and to hear us when we cry. How amazing is it that we have a God that hears us when we cry aloud and is gracious because he answers us. He says in verses 9, 10, and 11, it, it, it reminded me of Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David writes after he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And he writes in the second half of that psalm in verses 10, 11, and 12 in Psalm 51, he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David is 
is, is begging here for the face of the Lord to not be hidden from him. He, he doesn't want the Lord to turn away from him in anger of his sin. He, he's asking God to forgive him, and he's asking God to continue to allow him to be in the presence of the Lord. He says, cast me not off. He says, forsake me not. He's, he's, he's begging God to keep him with him. He, he's begging God not to cast him off and let the, and let the enemy devour him. He, he, he shows us, and he, as we should all see, that, God, that he is the God of our salvation. He, he, David, makes, David makes everything his own. He, he really goes to show the personal relationship that we're to have with God. We have corporate worship, which we're doing now, but we all should also have that own private, intimate worship and relationship with God. And, and David is walking through what his looks like. He's walking through how he, he's begging for the presence of the Lord. And then he shows the, but he also shows us the tenderness of our God in verse 10. He says, for my mother and my father, or for my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in. David takes that most tender relationship between a parent and a child, and he says, even if, even if that relationship is broken in your life, even if that relationship is, is, is difficult in your life, he says, the Lord is strong enough and the Lord is mighty enough that he, he takes us in and he, he fills that void of, of, of parental approval that we need. Because he is our heavenly father. He, in verses 11 and 12, he, he asks for three things. He asks for the Lord to teach him. He asks for the Lord to, to lead him. And then he asks the Lord to not give him up. He says, Lord, teach me your way. He says, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. He, it, it reminds me of the, the straight and narrow that we're to walk as believers and how, how easy it is to get pulled off of the path. It, it reminds me of the exercise that I've seen done where somebody's standing up on a chair and you're, you're trying to pull somebody up, but it's so much easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them, than for you to pull them up. God, he's, he's, he's asking God to keep him on that path. He, he's asking him to keep him on that lifted rock that he's been lifted up on in verse 5. And then he asked him not to give him up to the will of his adversaries. He acknowledges his sinfulness. He, he acknowledges that he has no place to be in the presence of God, but he asks God that he doesn't give him up. He, he asked God that he continues to draw him in to his presence. It, many times in David's life, he is, has false witnesses that are breathed out against him. He, he, he has violence that comes to him. And all throughout this, David is resolute in his trust and in his ability to love the Lord through it all. David's faith is one of battle-tested. It's been hardened over time in battle. And he shows us that, 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 that because of everything that he has seen, he understands the goodness of God. 
The last thing that David shows us is in verses 13 and 14. And he, he shows us that we, need, that we need to trust in the Lord. We need to trust in the Lord's timing. If you're like me, patience is not your strongest fruit of the Spirit. Um, and I am a very impatient person. I like things now. I like it, order, I, I like it done. I'm ready to just move on to the next thing. I don't, I don't want to wait for things. Um, like this time of the year right now, I am ready for football season. I'm ready for it to come. Still got a whole other month left, but I am eagerly waiting for football season. But David shows us that waiting and trusting in the Lord is what we're to do. He says in verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He doesn't say that's coming now. If you see, in, the, in the context of the psalm, this is the, this is the reward is being and seeing the Lord in the land of the living. But in verse 14, he says, he says something twice. And if you're like me, if something is told to you twice or you see something written twice, it's something that we ought to pay attention to. And it's a word that none of us like. It's wait. It's wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. On the Guatemala mission trip, we did a lot of waiting for airplanes. Um, we did a lot of sitting and hoping that the airplane that was landing was going to be the one that we were going to get on. Um, we, we did a lot of waiting, and like I said, I hate waiting. Um, but David shows us that this waiting in the Lord is not a passive Sit around, do nothing, waiting in the Lord. Spurgeon, once again, writing on this psalm, says, we're not to just sit and wait. He says, we're to wait at his door with prayer. He says, we're to wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 40, 31, he says, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The idea of waiting on the Lord is understanding that we have to seek him, but wait and understand that he is working it out so that we're not tiring ourselves out trying to get the will of God to speed up. So, you know, if, we're, if, if we're weak and if we're weary... It's because we're, we're, we're running ourselves so ragged trying to run into the will of God when he's saying, just stop. Just be in the presence of God. Be expectantly waiting for the reward of seeing him in heaven. We, we, we can't expect... It to come as if we're as if God's just going to sit there and pour into us while we're doing nothing. There, there has to be something on our part as we're, we 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 have to be in the Word. We we have to be devoted to the things of God so that we can understand what His will is. If we're not devoted to the things of God, if we don't allow our hearts and our minds 
to be renewed in the things of God, then we're going to miss what God's got coming for us because we could run right past it because we're so eager to get to what we think needs to be the next thing. But in between the two weights in verse 14, David writes, Be strong and let your heart take courage. Our hearts are one of the most amazing organs in our body for all that it does of moving blood and moving oxygen around to keep everything moving. And it's, it's, it's the center of who we are. It's, it's the center of where God should be in our lives. God, God should be in the inwardmost parts of our being. And because of that, we can take the courage to know that the only thing we need to ask for is to seek and be in his presence. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning as we in these few moments that we have left I would encourage you if you want to kneel, if you want to come to the front, whatever you want to do to get your heart in a position to be receptible to the Lord, I would just ask that you just pray over these verses that we've read. That you just see the amazing beauty of God. My question to you this morning would be, can you echo what David's request is in chapter 4, or in verse 4? which is one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, is that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Ask the Lord this morning to lift us up and lift us high and cover us and conceal us in his mercy and in his goodness. Father, we come to you in the quietness and in the stillness of the moment, asking that you would reveal yourselves, reveal yourself to us so that we might see your will and that we might seek seek only after you. Father, I pray that we are receptive and responsive to what you would call us to. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If the Lord's calling you to do something this morning, whether it's privately or publicly, I would deeply encourage you to be obedient to his call.
True. 
bow your heads for the benediction and then greet one another before you leave. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.